Thank you so much for joining us on Discover Economics, How Did I Get Here? So just who or what is an economist? There's an economic lens for every topic that you can possibly think of. The economists in our podcast are motivated by a desire to change the world and their belief that better data and better understanding are key to achieving this change. I'm very excited and enthusiastic about learning more about what economics can offer us as a society and what are the options when it comes to careers for young people. It's been an absolute delight to do this series and to learn more, to indulge my nosiness and to get to ask so many questions. The questions I'm hoping you as listeners will also have wanted to ask. So thank you so much for listening. So today on the podcast, we have Rohan Agarwal. Rohan is the founder and CEO of ThinkSmart, an education technology startup, which I'm sure we'll talk a lot about today. He is passionate about increasing social mobility, particularly in education. His work experience spans asset management, public policy and management consulting. And he has been a governor at one of the UK's largest further education colleges for four years, holds an MA in economics from King's College, University of Cambridge, and an MBA from INSEAD where he lived both in France and Singapore. Welcome, Rohan. It's lovely to meet you. And I'm looking forward to finding out exactly how you got here. Thank you. Thanks for having me. No problem. So I'm going to start at the beginning. So this is where I imagine my little wiggly lines where we're going back in time in an old-fashioned TV programme. Can you tell me a little bit about where you grew up and what were you like at school? (laughs) Okay, yeah. So I grew up in an area called the Medway Towns. It's like a suburban area not far from London kind of about you know 45-50 minutes commuting and classic kind of commuter town so particularly Dickensian Rochester it's not far from there or 15-20 minutes from Canterbury or Greenwich so it's a pretty nondescript suburban town that you'd read in the you know at the start of most novels I assume and so yeah in terms of school I think it's just a question of what I like sport friends, variety of languages, nothing in particular that would have, you know, I know the subject of this is to do with economics, but nothing really that would have pointed me towards it. But I was always interested in business, new businesses. So my parents, classic immigrant story, kind of owned a, owned a corner shop in, in the Medway Towns and you grow up just sort of seeing that. And I think that probably did seeded some of that interest. Were you made to work there in your time off and after school? Yeah, well, without getting them sued. Yes, don't do that. I was, I was a voluntary... I definitely, definitely did help out. And I think having like a kind of toddler running around is good for sales just because, you know, they can kind of chocolates that are particularly tasty and things like that. Oh, I bet that worked wonders. Who needs advertising? That's it. So I do imagine like, because, yeah, no, I know I have friends whose parents, you know, run businesses similar to that growing up. And it's funny, like they have both close friends of mine are sisters and they've both gone into not necessarily finance related, but very business related kind of careers. And you could see it early on. And I was always fascinated by it as well. I was very fascinated by the concept of a cash and carry because getting to access that much chocolate at one time. I mean, it's probably why we're still friends, if I'm honest. That's it. And that's what economists will call economies of scale. But I remember, yeah, with my granddad going to a cash and carry just loading it up, loading the trolley up, taking about, yeah, absolutely. The tech trend has done away with a lot of this, but yeah. Okay, so you were interested in business from quite early on then? Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. And I don't know about you, but certainly where I grew up, economics wasn't necessarily a subject at school. Did you take it as a subject at school? I was actually very, very lucky. So I'm, I'm kind of working this area nowadays, but I learned, you know, through discovery economics, a lot of things that only 
50% of schools, I think, offer it for A-level and so on. But my school was not particularly special. It was in Kent. They have grammar school system. They're not particularly, you know, elite schools or anything like that. But we were able to take economics from year eight, which now, now I find out that that's like really, really rare. Okay, GCSE is kind of interesting, but the fact from the age of 12, watching videos about like the barter economy and opportunity costs and things like that. Yeah, so from year eight, age of 12, I was very, very lucky. And I think that is just pure luck and often just because of the teachers available, the, the head teacher, whatever. There was no, it was no rhyme or reason for that. But I, I think was, often that's the case though, isn't it? Yeah, no, no, I, I think it seems a bit, it is just random from what I understand. Yeah. What did you think about it the first time you did it? Because that is quite young to kind of see things that actually are pretty day-to-day, but framed through the lens of it being this is economics. How did you feel about that? What did you think about yeah. it as a subject? Going back a little bit longer than I'd care to admit. <laughs> but I think actually I found it quite abstract and a bit weird. So I remember seeing this is kind of where we what would be like noughties early noughties it was like cartoony and i remember kind of like some flintstone characters at the market like swapping things and thinking oh this is trade and you know you now think about like cryptocurrency not long like you wonder like do today's year olds get a sense of like that's the new way of i don't know but it's just kind of thinking out loud that was it and i thought it was really weird didn't really get it and thought probably won't pursue this It's interesting because in your bio on the company page, you said that your favourite subject at school was French. It was, and I'll still have a go, not on this, hopefully, but yeah, (laughs) still really, in some ways, wish my career journey would have been no different, actually, had I studied languages. Yeah, absolutely. That's interesting. And not the first time that that has come up in the in these interviews. Actually, the very first one talking to Rachel Griffiths, and she talked about how actually the economics part of her career came relatively late. And she'd done lots of other things. And that fed into her economics, if you like. And that's something that's really stood out to me, because like I said, I don't have a background in economics. But that stood out to me with a lot of the interviews is that instead of maybe coming into this, I might have had an idea of economics as a, a thing in, on its own, rather than actually just a lens to look through at many other things. I think that's right. And I think probably just listening to you say that is like the older you get, the more you realise about the kind of lens bit, whereas I almost front-loaded my economics career, if that makes sense. So I kind of from 12 to 21 did like loads of it. And then from, you know, over the next decade, I saw, oh, right, this is where you can pick a mix. So whereas other people potentially kind of dabble with it, then specialise later. And it's kind of, you know, you could say that in many walks of life, that can be the case. So I kind of almost retired from mainstream <laughs> economics at 21. Wow. Where other people kind of pick it up. So tell me about that early part of your career then. What did that look like? So yeah, from school, kind of did it, liked it, then thought, oh, you know, I want to retire by the age of 30 and become a trader because it's kind of that classic immigrant background, you think, value, economics and choice and that kind of stuff. And then did it GCC because you just think it is a good subject to do. Um, it will open up, honestly, like city options and so on. And that was it. Then I chose it for university. Economics is almost like a vocational career in the sense that it's not like law. You know you're pretty sure to be able to do well out of it. And that was it. And then I kind of... 2008-9 happens when you're kind of on that great path towards, oh, I'm just going to do that trading job. Then that's when it kind of stopped and you thought, well, what else do I need to consider? What was that moment like for you then? Because like you said, you have pivoted to something quite different. 
Yeah, so a lot of that was the reality of, and this kind of relates to Think Smart, is you do these things, but you, I think often you don't question your personality, what you like and what you do. So early experiences in the workplace was like, actually, I kind of hate this because you might love, like, I, you know, I still like talking about, I don't know, markets or, yeah, we talked about crypto or when, why does the Bank of England do this or that? That's great at kind of dinner party or at the pub or whatever it is, but making that your kind of daily life and what that entails is a very different trade-off. So that's the bit of those careers that I thought were related to economics were actually just not things that suited me, but there's loads of other, and that was the point. So as soon as I did work experience, you know, and I questioned a lot, you know, is this something about me? Am I just terrible at work? It kind of made me question all these things, but that's because I had quite a narrow minded view of it. And ultimately that is the case for many students, because unless you've had the chance to try things or, and also have the, I don't know with this financial stability, but the guts to kind of say it's okay not to do that career that everyone else thinks is the kind of solid route in life. Um, yeah, but that is a scary thing, isn't it? Yeah, of course. Because like, I talked to a few other interviewees about, you know, this idea of internships, for example, and, and that kind of side of things. And, you know, the whole point of Discover Economics is getting a wider range of people into economics. I would never have been able to do an internship. I had three jobs one of the years I was at university and, and it's just not possible. And it's interesting to hear you say that because I think that there is obviously that kind of feel the fear and do it anyway type mindset, which is great for anyone of any social economic background. I'm not saying that you can't be like that, but the lack thereof of a safety net feels different to different types of people. Yeah, and I suppose it is a bit like journalism in that sense of what you read of people you can take risks off and have that financial background and so on. So I think it's a little bit similar. It's probably a lot of people who do that do it for a reason because they've not come from those kind of backgrounds. How long were you in that more traditional management consultant side, you know, the, the more traditional economics related roles? Yeah, that probably like first five years of the career, like, but had tried a bunch of different things. But if you just say, quote unquote, like city type careers, yeah, five years. And the first year after the crisis was really interesting. So I got to try a couple of different things and then management consulting for about three and a half, four years. And you said earlier about, well, you didn't say this outright, I suppose, reading between the lines, you didn't maybe feel your personality or you didn't feel like your job let you have all aspects of you. Is that a fair description? Yeah. Yeah, bang on. And, and I think that because you must have been quite young when you realised that you're only five years out of university. How do you then make that decision when you find yourself in a position where it's like, look, I like the subject. I like the, you know, I quite like the job. It's quite interesting. I still feel that part of me, but there are so many other parts of me that I'm not taking to work every day. And I think the important thing as well as for people who are younger now is like the world of work has changed so much that even like ten, in the last decade, 10 years ago, like free, the concept of freelance, but maybe the career you do, I've done like versus what our parents would have thought, like it's completely changed. Like it changed since I was working. So even during that early part of my career, there wasn't an option to go and work for yourself, let's say. Not even in an industry where you're like taking a massive punt and doing a startup, but just generally flexible work. Whereas now, that is almost like table stakes. So I think I only realized after some time that that was starting to develop. So maybe I got off the train at the right point, which is with enough experience to then know that there is actually a whole world of work out there. You can get consistent work and so on. So that was probably if I'm being really honest, that it's not something you'd advise everyone to do. And I would say, you know, you need to make sure those alternative options were there. And I think it's risky for me because actually 
the industry I was in, I believe, was like cleaning and hairdressing. And since there's a massive freelance industry, actually, and it was okay to, you wouldn't just say to someone who's maybe not come from an affluent background, worked really hard, done economics degree in the city to just like kind of jack it in and just say, I'll roll the dice. Like that's also not, you know, I've also realized it's a particular scenario I was in and background that I'd had that allowed to. And I totally agree. And, and it's, it's funny. It's such an economics thing to acknowledge how many factors are at play at the same time, isn't it? It's paralyzing because you, you, yeah, exactly. Cause you're taught to basically do cost benefit analysis. Oh my God. I can't imagine what the cogs in your brain must've looked like at that point. Emotions, like kind of just doing something, something on a gut isn't, isn't necessarily, isn't necessarily the reward. Yeah. So tell me then about getting into the startup space then, because, you know, you've been, you've been doing this for a number of years now and it's such a fascinating business as well. And I'd, I, I'd love for the listeners to hear more specifically about it because there's so much for our audience. But what, what did those first days look like after you decided to kind of go in this direction? A lot of it, I'm not going to lie, is you just, you just take a punt, really. You kind of have an idea. Part of all the issues we've just described are what inspired the first idea, which was, People make career decisions, what their uncle says, or their mum might do, or their dad, things they ought to do. But a lot of them, if you said, like, do you have any idea what, insert brackets, job is, they've got no idea. And then, you know, from an economics perspective, on a labour market side, employers will say, yeah, but, you know, students who come in, they've got no idea, and it's inefficient for us, and they're not very good. And so I just thought, is there some way of, like, crowdsourcing from, like, the way Wikipedia works, could you just crowdsource problems from people in different jobs? in order to help people solve them and think, oh, actually, I didn't know a midwife has similar skill sets to a policeman or something like this. But, so big but, like that's a grand aim, a grand vision. But then in the end with business, you have to make money. I think I've learned from my mistakes I have from any sort of successes. At some point though, if you really believe in something, you have to just, you can't do it like in the evenings and on the Sunday, you just give it a go. So the first steps were testing it with students, testing it with people. Like I was lucky enough to be a, a college governor so you could kind of ask some people within education and some students and at that stage you just have to make a call of is this like the constraints of a full-time job are probably too much to like give this a go so that would be it's kind of you go through that a little bit of testing and then at some stage you kind of have to are you going to do it or not yeah I mean I say that because I started my own business about nine actually almost 10 years ago now. And it was that exact same thing. And I actually got a part-time job at an FE college, like teaching part-time in order to do that. Because you're absolutely right. Because there's a lot of startup culture specifically as well that kind of sells this idea of basically burnout. (laughs) You know, you're never going to succeed if you don't burn yourself out. And because I went through your questionnaire, I was having a good nosy around the site and playing around with it. And I loved it. I just thought of, to myself, I mentioned earlier to you that I had like three jobs one of the years at university, one summer in particular, I had three jobs. And I was very lucky in that respect, actually. And I'm very grateful for it because one of the jobs was a nine to five admin assistant in an office. So unlike my fellow students, I actually understood what it was like to work in an office, whereas none, none of them had been in an office. <laughs> and what I love about your questionnaire is that it totally contextualizes what it's like to, to really do a specific job. And it's almost doing, I suppose, what Discover Economics is trying to do with economics, which is really get to the nitty gritty of this is what it feels like to do a specific role. And that there's a lot of crossover, like you said, between, say, nursing, police and and, and, and lots of different things. So it's about finding your element almost. Oh, referencing one of my favourite books there, good old Sir Ken Robinson, may he rest in peace. His book and his talks were all about that. 
you know, bringing together the different aspects of yourself into your job. I think that's right. That's, I mean, actually, it's kind of why I got involved with that with Aaron and others at Discovery Economics, because you could solve problems if you were a civil servant, a startup entrepreneur, an entrepreneur, whatever, whatever you choose to be, that, that use those skills. And too often people use labels on industries and jobs rather than just skills. And so if you just sat stripped back, so I helped co-found another startup in the mortgages industry, and we hired my old economics teacher from uni who taught Aaron and I actually. That's amazing. He's our chief technology officer. And I said to him, Oliver, blockchain, like, I don't get machine learning. What is this? And he said, you know, Rohan, like what you did at uni that was called econometrics, which sounds really like kind of technical and weird. If you just let relabel that now, like intro to machine learning, that is what it was. He said, so you can do it. So I had no idea. You know, a lot of it is that and the practical elements of it, it, it are not shown enough because it's particularly at top universities or any university, they kind of have this kind of ivory tower approach to things. And I think the market is shifting. So I mean, that's the world I lived in now is in education more, in from more practical senses. It's not good enough anymore just to kind of say, like, you've got this degree. It's, well, how is this literally practical in a, in a changing job market? Absolutely. It's so interesting you say that because my area is digital skills and the amount of time someone will come to me in exactly that conversation you just had, where they'll come to me and go, I don't understand how this works. I've, I'm a, I've been in my job, you know, X number of years and I will very quickly break down. Do you know that thing you do every day in person? Well, this tool over here just lets you do it online. Like if you use all the skills that you use in person, this will work. If you think about it as being a robotic online thing, then it probably won't. And and it's so interesting. It's about finding those little switches that we can switch for people to get them to just put things in context. That's it. In the end, a lot, I mean, I think economics and psychology kind of overlap a lot. A lot. Sometimes it's reframing things. And what would you say, I kind of teed up this question a little bit for you earlier, but given your work in this area, and, and actually the answer to this question doesn't have to be in this area, it can be in any area, but what would you say so far that you are most proud of? I was thinking about that. I think actually it's just um, taking the jump because, you know, since I've not had a, a paycheck, like a regular paycheck in nearly six years. And it's like really overwhelming at the start. But I, when you ask me that question, I'm like, actually, I'm kind of proud of doing it and then realizing it's okay. And it's like that health warning of like, it doesn't mean that everyone should be doing that. But I'm proud of that, that I'm much genuinely friends, family, et cetera, will say, I'm just happier. So I think that I think for me that is that is like loads of ups and downs, tons of mistakes, tons of like regret. But the one regret I don't have is I don't regret being sat where I was. A hundred percent. And it's so interesting given the conversation we just had a moment ago about the options for young people now, is that I talk to a lot of young people still that could very easily start their own business straight out of university. And I think that there's a little bit of the fear has been removed from that for good and for ill, because obviously there isn't this, a safety net for a lot of people and, and there's obviously a lot of risks. But the kind of push for more of an entrepreneurial mindset in young people in particular, but everyone, I suppose, has had the knock-on effect, I think, of giving new generations a bit more confidence. We can obviously look at the flip side of also saying that maybe the job market isn't quite so stable as it used to be, and that's a, that's a different concern. In terms of... Let's just take a step back a little bit. So again, putting my Discover Economics hat on, what do you think that economics as a field, because obviously you're you're kind of, you're in the startup space, your focus is on education. 
but you still have a huge network in economics as a career choice and, and you know, all of that side of things. And you, you've kind of lived through it, if you like. I don't like talking like this because you're super young and it makes me sound like <laughs> for generations, Rohan, you've been... <laughs> Catching my pension soon. Yes. I know. But yeah, like we've talked about, again, this is a cliche, but feeling a bit of a round peg in a square hole or vice versa. What do you think economics can do as a field to open up the floodgates to different types of candidates to come into that space? And you said like city work. I think the city in London, quote unquote, as a whole, has that issue. Yeah, no, it's a really good, really, really good point. I was taken by, I don't know, it's related to discovery economics. There's like a new type of curriculum called core. And what they do is they teach all of the syllabus, but through massive problems like climate change, or actually you could probably teach, or maybe overestimating the entire, definitely A-level, but maybe degree syllabus through coronavirus. So like there's, there's really cool degree in the US called like physics for presidents. And it's brilliant. The ones, you know, you could look at our leadership right now and say, oh, they're great at politics or maybe not so great, but they're terrible at like maths. But these courses combine, and I think there's something around the US curriculum about combining things that is much better than our own. And I think one thing economics could do, so I, controversial or not, I may be totally wrong. I don't believe in the, in the idea of, oh, we should water down the maths. I found it really, really hard, to be quite honest. Like, I nearly changed my degree because I found the maths hard. We look at the world we live in now and some of the massive, whether it's coronavirus or Brexit, if people understood data and maths better, you could argue, it might help things. So I don't think economics should do that, but I think maybe the vehicle through which it teaches things could be real world. So this example... You mean instead of the Flintstones? Yeah, well, very good, exactly. <laughs> However, that's a really good point. It could be climate change, it could be coronavirus, it could also be history, because actually I was listening to a podcast about crypto and they were talking about like, well, the internet was weird to people. So was the first iPhone. So was the steam engine. You know, so, so there are loads of like things that would capture, like it's storytelling. I think it's basically storytelling. Unfortunately, I mean, again, I reference Aaron, but when Aaron and I were studying our final year, the world was ablaze, like it was financial crisis, et cetera. And we were being taught the same models. Like just, it was like a vacuum. It was weird. It was as if they didn't realize, well, they knew, but they just didn't change anything. Like, Lehman Brothers. Didn't have time to update the curriculum. Yeah, Lehman Brothers came down and it was just like, just keep, keep teaching the same stuff. But, you know, the same stuff is basically still being taught. It's not to say it's wrong. It's just like, it won't capture a diverse group of people. But suddenly, if you flip, we're teaching the whole thing through climate change. I'm pretty sure you get a very different group of applicants. A hundred percent. And it's interesting you say that because one of the things I've really enjoyed about this series is interviewing all the different types of economists who are, you know, environmentalists and looking at things through LGBTQ lens of research and the changes over generations and and family economics and the economics of the criminal justice system. And, you know, there's so many variations. Like you said, you can pick a thing and teach a whole curriculum through it. And also, I loved what you said about not dumbing down maths. I think I spend a chunk of my time because people sometimes come to me and presume what I do is technical or quote unquote technical and they're not technical and I bet you've heard this a number of times like oh I'm not good at math and actually often those same people who say that they are good at maths they maybe just didn't do this particular type of maths or they don't see what they do every day as being statistics or maths or data analysis there's just so many ways of looking at maths let's say as a skill or statistics as a skill I get frustrated with anyone having the idea that they can be 
ultimately terrible or amazing at most of these things. Pretty much everyone I find is somewhere in the middle. And what's often missing is the confidence and the context. If you feel like you're doing maths and the context of the maths you're looking at, for example, just doesn't connect with you, then you're going to feel like you're rubbish at it because you just can't get your head around it. I mean, in a completely different field, I've been doing a lot of work recently looking at like data science boot camps. So like kind of how they the best data science boot camps in the world use, they sort of say they use contextualized data. All that means is you can use the data you've been struggling with at work to learn with that. Versus other boot camps might give you some data set from, I don't know, the World Bank or some of those pub. It doesn't really mean anything to you. And you're sort of learning the same thing. But the outcomes on those are able to learn with something they're familiar with and what they're doing. And I, I think broadly that applies to actually just education generally nowadays. Um, but it's a really good example of something that could probably benefit from that. Yeah. Also, I wonder what you would think, given that your involvement with kind of further education colleges and that side of things, that's something, I, again, that I am very passionate about in terms of education, is this idea of the separation of academic learning versus vocational learning. And did I see a little eye roll there when I said that? Because I do the big eye roll of, look, guys, there's more... That brings us two things together, then breaks them apart. I completely agree. It was always, a, I mean, one of the reasons I chose to take part in FE was because it was completely foreign to my own experience and you can kind of learn from it. And I completely agree with you because, so for example, let's say one of the biggest challenges in FE is English and maths, getting that to like table stakes level. But again, some of these students, they're quite like sharp, a lot of the students, or street smart, whatever. Economics is actually a really good subjects through which to probably teach a certain level of and, and right a lot of these students might want to run their own business they might go into the professions where they need to do an invoice they might need to charge customers they might need to do pricing all these things are in economics or writing accurately and to the point and you know i would argue marketing or messaging all these things are about finding kind of a fit between your products and the market so yeah like i can agree i think unfortunately a lot of it is a challenge in the FE sector, finding that talent to come and teach or being flexible enough to think, are there different ways in which you can define teaching? Like, could you use more online? Could you get almost like a teach first method for FE? Like, what, what could you do yeah. something different? I wonder as well, because I've seen a lot of FE colleges that do an amazing job of connecting with business and getting their students into business. And look, there are some universities that are great at that and some universities that are not so good. But I think it's even more challenging for FE because there's an expectation of what kind of level of student the company is going to get. I think that goes back to our real world problem. I think a lot of this comes to, of course, if you are going to become, well, do you know what? Maybe Sarah and Aaron and others would disagree, but top academics, yeah, of course, they maybe are a little bit divorced from the day to day, but maybe actually they're not. Because if you look at Nobel Prize winners, often it's applied to very, very real problems. But everyday kind of economics is not that kind of it doesn't need to be that advanced it just needs to be grounded in the real world and that that's ultimately the problem is too much is that theoretical syllabus type stuff which is absolutely important but the vehicle keep coming back to the vehicle through which you teach it needs to be different and it takes time effort it takes kind of a little bit of a lot of it is just that kind of bureaucracy and the kind of oh well it's not really that broke why bother fixing it yeah. And the snobbery as well, I've certainly found. I think that's a really good point because it's like anything, again, if you're able to like quote certain things and it allows you to act as if you understand things that other people don't. Yeah. Yeah. It's so funny. 
I've come across so many people in my working life, probably a bit like yourself, where I've worked in, you know, oil industry, in in London, I worked in media, I worked at The Guardian. And now some of our clients are some of the biggest tech companies in the world and also social enterprises. And I've come across so many people that a stranger to them would be so impressed. <laughs> and honestly, it is exactly like you say, it, it's knowing the right thing to say sometimes, not always. But I think that if we're going to make, one, if we're going to open the doors in not just economics, but I do think that economics as a field is a brilliant place to start for some of those kids that you actually just referenced. Those kids that are in FE colleges that are smart as hell and sharp, but don't have a traditional academic background until they get to that, that college. Like, if we could scrape away some of the preconceptions that employers have and certain offices might have about what fits in their office and what doesn't fit in their office, we, you know, you could really make a difference in a sector because, yeah, the FE like landscape, the colleges themselves, there's so much potential there in terms of the student body alone. Definitely. And these are often students who've ended up there just because of background and not having the ability to kind of pursue different things. So you, the other thing is you don't know if you gave them that, opened their eyes, gave them a the, you know, choice of doing something five years later that might completely surprise. I'm not, not even surprised. I'm pretty sure they would end up on a different path. The trouble is it's mm. just not exposure. Absolutely. And something that's come up in other discussions is this idea of a network. I guest lecture at Greenwich Uni and one of the things I just hammer home to the students all the time is connect with your lecturers. I love it that you employed one of your lecturers, <laughs> high five. But this this idea that you might not have a network at home, your family might not have people in, you know, in your family that are lawyers and doctors and engineers or, or whatever circle you want to be in. So connect with your lecturers, like take that opportunity to network. And that whole concept of that type of networking is alien to a big part of the population. And it plays such a role in some elite institutions. Yeah, like honestly, people sort of say, you know, what well, that is the number, since I've been self-employed, the only, I would say the number one thing that's kept me afloat is network. I get that certain institutions and certain business school or whatever, it's all about that. But but if you can keep in touch and harvest those networks, you realise how much they pay off when you're self-employed. Because self, when you're self-employed, you have nothing, in my opinion, at least for me, I've had nothing other than my network. Me too. And the kindness of others, speaking to people and so on and that's a sort of, and this is the thing about kind of, there's economics and there's theory and then there's sort of kind of the world skills because, again, economics teaches something called network effects. And, and that's just a thing. But often, probably, I doubt many lecturers will say, what that means is, is harvest them or speak to people. There's no practical sense. It's just like, oh, if I have 100 people in my network and then there's a network effect and there was it seven, six things of Kevin Bacon or whatever it is, it's like you keep, they won't explain it. But yeah, I totally agree. I mean, the network thing, from a practical sense, is probably the best thing you could teach anyone. And so looking at your business right now at ThinkSmart, we'll include all the links and things in the podcast, because I think there's so much for teachers and students and even parents. I bet there'll be a ton of parents who go in and answer those questions for themselves and just be like, <laughs> like, Have hold on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, time to shift career. But obviously that took time to collate all of those scenarios. You know, there's a hell of a lot of work has gone into pulling that together. What have you learned along that journey that you want people to realise about how everything works at ThinkSmart? So, yeah, this was, I mean, there is a, a load. First, first thing I'd say is like startups are like not as cool as everyone thinks. Yes. And it's, it's okay. It's okay if you really like your job and really want a career because frankly, like that's probably going to be 
you know, a more stable shot. Secondly, is like you will fail and that's fine. Or like if you don't fail, you probably will at some point. And, you know, the second time I had a go at doing something with a mortgages company or the third, maybe you just get better and better. So it's kind of like don't be too hard on yourself. And it's like the other point I'd probably make is it never turns out to be what you thought at the start, I think. But, you know, I'm speaking for myself, but I'm pretty sure because I also have like had a go at investing in some other startups and you learn like now I've kind of founders from different industries. And I think that's just sort of thing. It's kind of consensus across them all. The biggest thing is giving it a go. Where you end up will be very different, I think. I I couldn't agree more. I'm nodding away because my experience is certainly the same. And I know a lot of other founders have had that same experience. And my my other thing I would add is that everything takes you longer than you think it will, in my experience. (laughs) like and it's good to plan with milestones like don't not do that but be prepared to have them go past you and something that really stands out to me about your career so far and and where you've taken it is that economics really has given you such a solid foundation for what you do because I can see it even in because I'm looking at it from a kind of digital perspective as well I can even see it almost in the back end of how your site works how it's been pulled together what do you think the economics as a subject, let's say, has given you throughout your career, not just when you were working in that field? Yeah, I was thinking, like, I can't, I, this is one question I assumed you might ask, but it's still quite hard. Is I think that, I come back to math, there's something about, I think, that mathematics is a really good skill for most people to learn. But economics is applied maths, so it's that real world application. There's something about problem solving that I know you could, like, engineering, I'm sure, has that. But there is something about, again, like, in different contexts, problem solving. So like do you develop economics? Like how do you help more women enter the workforce? Like that is a problem to solve, which is not all about inflation. So it's thinking about things in it. So I think economics encourages structured thinking. And then I think the other thing is if you do, depending on which route you choose, you see that everyone is influenced by it. So in startups and business, in the end, whether it's pricing customer segmentation, all these kind of jargony terms in business, there are always economic fundamentals. So I think you can maybe grasp them. It's not to say it's the best and only route, but it's more malleable than people think. I think it's more just that it's just that self-fulfilling thing, right? In the sense that people who do it going on to careers that earn a lot of money and people just think it's that factory, but actually you can do a lot of different things. I think that's really well put. You alluded to this earlier, and I say this all the time about my own experience, in that I I did English and linguistics at university, ended up in publishing and oil industry, and now I run my own business, which is digital skills and technology. So you don't know where things will take you. And again, it is a big cliche, but something, and I find economics similar to something like, say, politics, in that it is this big thing in and of itself that impacts everything. And any kind of interest in something like that as a subject, I feel it really, even if you don't do it formally, it it does give you a certain way of thinking about the world that is a positive thing and can be applied in in loads of different ways. Okay, I'm just thinking because I'm conscious of time and I don't want to take up too much of your time. So there's a couple of things that I just wanted to to kind of ask you to finish up. And this is difficult because obviously I want to ask the question in a way that you know, looks at where you are now as well. Because again, like I said, I think that your website is definitely somewhere that I think teachers and students should press pause, go visit now. <laughs> and there, there's loads there, I think, um, that's of, you know, ridiculously high value for, for educators, parents and students. 
what advice would you give to teachers and parents who are maybe looking at their kids in their class or their own children if it's a parents and thinking do you know what I'm listening to this podcast I don't have a background in economics I'm not really particularly sure what I can do with it but I get a sense that my kid from listening to these interviews and you know finding out people's real life experiences of working in economics how do I introduce them to it how can I point them towards economics as a subject that might be an option for them yeah, it's a really, it's a really, really good point. In, in fact, like I think my cousins are all kind of of that kind of high school age and making decisions and so on. And do they all get sent to you by their parents? Yes, to is, have a little talk to them. Kind of marched <laughs> over, and it, it's funny. I've started a trend where all of them, sad. I mean, don't know whether it's sad or not, but have done something. But it's interesting actually because I did pure economics, and then as you get the next generation, they're combining it, management, another cousin with sustainability. And this kind of actually makes exactly the point we've been talking about the whole time, which is I was like pure economics. Oh, it's just, and then they're like, oh, what about it with this, with that, with this? So my biggest thing. It's the perfect hybrid, isn't it? Oh, yeah. I mean, like one of my cousins, she's about to go to Warwick where and teaches and study sustainability. And it's like, that makes total sense. But maybe, I don't know, a decade ago or so, people would have thought that's weird. But I would say to read the news. I would say just have a look at any, I'm going to go on a limb here, including sport, frankly, is that pretty much any article you read, I know people might like boxing, I was reading like Tyson Fury and Anthony Joshua negotiating their fight deal. There will be something there that has fundamentals of economics, has game theory, has, you know, you may think about the European Super League was a big issue. You may think about coronavirus, obviously you might think about Rishi Sunak and Fellow. Think about Israel and Palestine. All of them will have economic principles. And and that's what I think that's what I would say is that you can use them as a way of creating debate. And if you enjoy that, great. It might be for you. If you don't, you might enjoy the other aspects and that's totally fine. It really reminds me, and I'm surprised I haven't brought this up earlier, actually, in any of the other interviews, but a friend of mine wrote a book a few years ago now called The Misfit Economy. And it was actually looking at things like Somali pirates and drug dealers. Yeah, and, yeah, brilliant. Yeah. And just, again, I would encourage teachers and parents who maybe even, you know, you might listen to this podcast and think you're talking about your really advanced students or you're, you're more traditionally going to go to university students. I would argue that actually economics is a great place for those students where you think, actually, they're really smart, but they're a bit bored. So they're maybe underperforming. And there's a lot here that would be challenging and interesting, I think. It's sort of applied problem solving in the purest sense. Pick anything. Yeah. Just anything weird that's going on outside your front door has probably got something to do with incentives and the way we organise society, which fundamentally will have something to do with economics. Brilliant. Any last thing you would like to tell our listeners about what you're doing now? What's next, actually, for ThinkSmart? (laughs) What do you want to do next? Yeah, I would love for as many people as possible to be listening to have a go, give us feedback and have a think about does solving real world problems help them to realise actually don't think about careers in such a narrow sense, don't worry about A-level options, so on. And actually, you know, can they see that economics principles are applied to any one of those careers actually in, in different ways? And then I suppose the only other thing is to say is just give it a go. Like if you're not sure, have a read of the paper, watch the news, speak to friends about something, whether it's a new business idea, you can kind of experiment with seeing whether it's for you through everyday discussion. That's the good thing about it. 
brilliant. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you letting me grill you on <laughs> on some of this stuff. And, it, and it's lovely to talk about it from yet another like kind of different perspective, I think, for listeners, because, you know, I came into this personally with, you know, no idea about the range of what was possible. And certainly my my kind of views and ideas have changed as we've been going through the interviews. And with you coming up on my list as kind of people to interview, I was like, well, the startup scene, that I know about. <laughs> I can understand. And so it's been amazing to to hear you talk about, you know, the transition and and the kind of foundation as well. I'm hoping that we can convince you to come back maybe for our next season. And we're hoping to get some students and teachers to ask questions for our guests. So it won't be me. You won't be able to blame me for the questions next time. But we'd love to be able to come back and kind of check in with you if you'd be willing to come back again. Of course. I just hope it was useful and interesting. Oh, yeah, of course. Well, it was to me. That's all I care about. (laughs) I love it. <laughs> Brilliant. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. Have a, have a great rest of the day. And that's that for that episode. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. And if you want to get in touch with any questions, please visit our website, discovereconomics.co.uk, where you'll also find loads of useful resources. And if you've enjoyed the podcast, remember to go to Apple Podcasts, rate and review. Also remember to subscribe through whichever podcast app you're using so that you always get any new episodes as soon as they're published. See you on the next episode.